with us in person in the main auditorium, with those who are with us in the fellowship hall, to those online, good morning to you all. What a privilege that we have. I've been thinking since our opening song on these words, ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Ponder anew. Freshly think about who God is and His power and grace at work in the lives of sinners such as us. No situation too far, no situation too hard, no circumstance too overwhelming. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. We get to do that as we come to the Word, and if you have a Bible, please open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 35 through chapter 39. For the next 45 minutes, I'm going to read these four and a half chapters. We'll take a slight intermission, and then each chapter will get their own 45-minute sermon. So, hopefully everyone got that memo. As you're turning there, we recently sent out a, a note, an update, with a request for help in terms of a survey as we are gathering more information and things are changing locally in our state and our nation with respect to covid and as you can tell, that this is, we're entering together as a church family and, and broader as a community into a maybe more challenging season as we ease into a different dynamic with respect to COVID. The information that we're asking is helpful for us as we prepare together as a church leadership team and, and as a church family. And so if you hadn't had an opportunity yet, or at least somebody in your family uh, to to fill out that survey for us, please do so in the coming days. If you did not receive one and would like to, please go to our website, trinitynh.org, and sign up for uh, our emails. You'll find that toward the bottom of the screen and put in your information, and we'll be sure to get that to you. Thank you for taking the time to do that. It will be most helpful for us. So now we are coming to the end, near the end. In fact, Next Sunday is our last sermon in Exodus. And what a very interesting... Somebody say, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I'll take that positively. Absorb it. We're coming to an end. And, and it's interesting how the Lord works. Months before COVID, we were thinking through... How we, what we were going to focus in together as a church and Exodus just kept coming back up and, and how fitting of a theme and focus it has been over the course of this year. And as we're coming toward the end of some of the aspects of COVID and as we're moving toward more normalcy, however pay, whatever pace that moves, our Exodus series is coming to an end and it seems so fitting. If I could have planned it that way, I would have, but I certainly didn't. Hopefully this series has been a great encouragement for you and your soul. As we come to the end of it, we're, we're now at a portion in Exodus that is very much focused on them building stuff. Building stuff. That's why we're going to be considering you know, nearly four and a half chapters together this morning. But the portions that we're going to read are very critical for us to understand what we see here. And then, hopefully, making that, that jump into our lives in the here and now, how we then can live. So let's take a moment to read Exodus 35, starting at 
verse 30. We're going to read into Exodus 36 and, and finishing at verse 7. So just a little bit at the end of 35 and a little bit at the beginning of 36. And it actually gives us a great context for then everything that comes after it to the end of chapter 39. So let's take a moment to read these words together. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahesamech of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Let's pray. God, as we consider uh, this passage and in the scope and its context, we certainly pray that you would help our hearts rest and trust and hope in you. This is your word, and as we dig into it, we need to understand it in their day, and we need to see it fulfilled in Christ's day, and we need to see it applied to our day. And so would you be with us as we approach your word? Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it exhilarating to be doing what you feel like you're meant to do? It's exhilarating. It's exciting. There's something fresh about that. Isn't it depressing when you're not? It's so easy to have our highs too high and our lows too low when it comes to that particular dynamic. And sometimes those highs get so high and those lows get so low because we are actually centered on the wrong thing. We're, we're centered on ourselves as opposed to being centered on, on God and living for His glory. Maybe we ought to wrestle with asking ourselves, how might a greater grasp of who God is and what He's done in my life impact how I go about living out my life for Him? How might be centering on God shape the way that we do what we do? What if we realized that we were indeed made for a purpose? And rather than exhausting ourselves in searching for that purpose, we 
settle our heads and our hearts on the character of God, his grace and mercy in our lives, and his purpose through them. Here we find in this section the people of God building what they were called to build. They're doing the work. A few chapters back, we had a whole bunch of chapters describing in detail what was to be built and how. And now we come to the part where they're to actually do it. That they are to build this. And so, built to dwell implies that this thing is made for a purpose, and so is your life. So is the life of the church. It's made for a purpose. As we work through this and as we think through this, there's some big picture ideas that then make some application points in our lives. So let's work through those bigger ideas and hopefully, by God's grace, see some of that sink down in the way that we look at life and live it out. Built to dwell means a couple of things. First of all, it means this. First and foremost, God calls and equips. God calls, God equips. And then secondly, what we find here in our passage and in this section of Exodus is that the people respond and do. God calls, God equips, people respond, people do. Let's walk through this a little bit together. First, God calls and equips. In the section that we read, we find God very much at work in calling forth and equipping his people to do the task of building this place where God and people will dwell together. And in so doing, what we find here, just like we've found many times over in Exodus, is that Exodus is often an echo of Genesis. It's an echo of creation. God is recreating for himself a people. And so we find here, again, God calling forth and God equipping. God calling forth a people. God calling forth a specific task. God equipping for that task. First we see here God calls. He calls by name. And yes, I'm going to have to say those names again. By name. Look at verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord, Yahweh, has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 34. By name again. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahesamach, of the tribe of Dan specifically called forth people to do this work. And this work was a specific work. So it's called by name and called to a specific work. Look at verse 1 of Exodus 36. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So God is calling forth people to a specific task. God is clearly in charge, ruling in and through his people. And his people have specific work to do, and he calls them specifically. This we find in Genesis. We find that that God's rule is evident in, in here in Exodus, just as it was in Genesis. Just as it was at creation, when God called forth Adam and Eve, and he called them to a specific work. Think back to Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. Called forth and called to a specific task. Now we know in Genesis all that got upended because of sin. And so the calling forth now in Exodus is all in the context, as we noted last week, of that of grace and redemption. These are a redeemed people, a rescued people, and they are called forth in a similar way to go and to do. Now God doesn't just leave them to themselves to figure it out. God's grace continues to seep all the way through the lives of his people. He calls them, and he equips them. He equips them. Doesn't leave them to themselves to the task. He equips them. First of all, primarily, what we find here is that these specific individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 35, verse 31, it begins with this, And he has filled him, Bezalel, with the Spirit of of God, with the Spirit of God. Now, the dynamic of the Spirit at work in the lives of God's people in the Old Testament is a little bit different than the dynamic that it is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit filled specific people for specific tasks, for specific seasons. And all of that was anticipating or sort of like a, a, an appetizer for what would be poured out on the people of God in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit fills God's redeemed, restored, rescued people. They're the church, which is also given its specific task to live in light of. We'll get back to that in a moment. But God doesn't leave them to their own power and strength. God fills them. God's care for his people and his glory is seen in creation and in redemption. So God calls and God equips. And from the filling of the Spirit, we see God graciously provide all that was needed. Let's look again at verses 31 through 35 of chapter 35. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for, every, for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahesamech of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens or by a weaver by any sort of workman or skilled designer. That's a lot. I mean, wow. That's amazing. They're filled with skill, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship, artistic sensibilities, the ability to lead and inspire and teach and administrate this massive project. Everything they needed to do the work, the Lord supplied. 
Just like when in the garden where mankind was to reflect the glory of God and living out their purpose, God supplied all that was needed here too. This is important for us to see. Because when we take a moment to look at how the people respond and do, we must be careful that we keep that in the right order of things. It is first and foremost God's gracious call and gracious equipping. Before there's response, before there is due, there is grace. Character of God poured out into our lives by means of His grace. And this, we're called to something. Yes, we're equipped for something. But that call and that equipping is by grace. Exciting and overwhelming. God would be so gracious. It was not that long ago that these very same people fashioned golden calves and said, this is our God. God's grace is so overwhelming. Now, as we see this call and this equipping in the context of grace, fill the people with all that is needed so they, they go do the work, we find then the people respond and do. The people respond and do. They live out their purpose for this task. And, and I want to cover it in three ways, in, in their worship, in their work, in their witness. And so keep those three words in mind, worship, work, and witness, because when we start to think of it in the scope of the whole of the Scripture and then applying it into our lives today, those same words are going to come with us. Worship, work, and witness. So let's consider it first. In their worship, which is the application is going to be in our worship. How do the people respond and do in their worship? Well, the people sacrificed their time. The people sacrificed their talent, their resources to respond to the gracious call of God. Let's look at verses 3 through 7 again in, verse, excuse me, in chapter 36. Starting at verse 3. And they received, the workers received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. And, he said to Mo- and they said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Restrained from giving and bringing. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I don't think the application point is that the trustees are going to restrain you from giving and bringing. So we can go ahead and set that aside. But they gave. Did you see? Did you read that? The description. They gave so much in response to God's grace that Moses actually had to tell them to stop. 
They were displaying in their giving, the giving of their resources, the giving of their time and their skills that God has blessed them with. They were giving as an overflow of their worship. They were saying, God is worth it, therefore I give. And this give isn't a sacrifice for me. It is a free will offering. It is the overflow of a heart on purpose with great joy. I can't wait to give because God is so worth this. And so they gave. And so they gave. You and I, we devote our energies to that which we deem worth it. Sometimes that goes well and sometimes that goes disastrously. And sometimes we perceive things about ourselves that maybe just simply aren't true. Our perception is broken. We, we perceive of our own lives that they're uneventful, they're directionless, they're aimless, they're boring, and there's no value to them. When we do that, we're giving our cards away. We've, we've shown that our focus is set on self and not on God. What if our perception was totally broken and wrong? Rather than looking at the situation of our lives, what if we looked at the overwhelming glory and grace of God that comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God has done all for us that we could never do on our own? What if we began to train our heads and our hearts to look at the reality that God has provided for us in Jesus' means by which will rescue us from our sin and give us life in that in full And what if we realized that Jesus did for us what we could never do and took on for us what we did do to give to us what we could never gain? What if we realized the scope of the gospel in ever-expanding ways? And what if that changed our perception? And so instead of looking at our lives as uneventful, boring, or not filled with much, and so therefore I don't have much to give, what if we looked at the overwhelming awesomeness of God and the grace that comes to us through the gospel and we say, I'm ready to give all because God is worth it. All of my affection, my energy, my hope. I think maybe sometimes our perception is wrong because we're so glazed over by comfort that we don't really think we would matter that much. God's building something through the church, He's rescuing people, He's dwelling with them by means of the Spirit. He's applying the completed work of Christ to the hearts of sinners. That's kind of a big deal. And we get to be a part of that. And our being a part of that is the overflow of our worship. And may that be so. May it be said of us at Trinity that there is so much in response to God's grace that we just don't know what to do with it all. And I'm not just simply talking about you opening up your wallet and giving financially, but you, your time and your effort and your energy and your care and your compassion and your skills and your expertise so that other people come to know him and grow in him and and live out their lives following that same purpose. What if we did that? May that be said of our church. People respond and do in their worship. And then secondly, we find that the people respond and do in their work. So if you were to go ahead and read all four chapters, we'll find 
uh, the people of God, under the expert direction of Bezalel and Aholiab, that they went about doing the work. They made the stuff. They made the stuff. Each new section, as you look through these chapters, begins with the same summary statement. And such and such thing was made. It's easy to overlook. You just go right along past it, and then it describes the dynamic of it being made. But it's that first sentence, those first few words in each section that are overwhelmingly awesome. It was made. God told them to do something. They gave to that project. He equipped people to lead it. He called them to do it. And this wayward people, by overwhelmed by God's grace in their lives, went about doing what God called them and equipped them to do. Just moments ago, they were worshiping a golden calf. So, so here's the deal. For us, we get to do the same God cares so much for us and His grace so sufficient for us that He calls us and equips us to do stuff for His glory and for our good. And while this section could be a dry read, keep in mind, a wayward people, by God's grace, did what they were called to do. Look at the very last verse if you want to skim over to Exodus 39. Verse 32, toward the end of, uh, toward the, the last section of chapter 39, it says this, Thus all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Anytime the Bible repeats, that's important. The work was finished. They did according to all that was commanded, so they did. Three times stated, significant, it's important. What's important, the gracious work of God can do amazing things in the human heart. Your heart, my heart. It can change us to care about what we do and how we do. Their work was indeed a response to God's grace, and it is never the other way around. We don't work to get grace. We work because of grace. Come back to that in a moment. Thirdly, we find that the people responded to not only in their worship, not only in their work, but in the whole thing, in their witness. In their witness. The whole tabernacle system, its design and function was a witness to the God who saves and dwells with his redeemed people. The whole thing is a visual and visceral evidence of the grace of God through the lives of his redeemed people. Its structure and function both say God saves and dwells with his saved. Exodus 39, verse 33, and then verse 43. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, it says. And then Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. It is a testimony, a witness, an evidence to the grace and glory of God. 
not just for their little tribe of people, but for the neighboring surrounding nations. It communicates that God of Israel saves and dwells with his people. The work they did was motivated by the worship of their gracious God and ends as a witness to his glory and grace. And this is also our story too. You see, Exodus not only echoes creation, but it also anticipates the gospel. It anticipates the gospel. It anticipates God graciously calling and supplying in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it anticipates that all we need is fully supplied in all that God has given, and He's given it all in Christ. And has applied it to our lives by the Spirit. So much so that we lack no thing that we need to be the church in this world, in this time, in this moment, right now. That our lives through our worship, in our work, is a witness to the grace and glory of a God who saves sinners such as us and calls us to... So we too get to respond. We too get to do. We respond to the God of all grace. We respond to that which he calls us to and equips us for. We respond with faith and repentance, trusting Christ for salvation. We respond by living in light of the life that we now have. While we may not be building a tabernacle, because, well, Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. He is where God and man dwell and meet. He is it. He's what that was pointing to. No, we're not necessarily building in that. We're living in light of it. We're living in it because of being in Jesus. But we are building something. We are called to something. We are called to to worship. We are called to a work. We are called to a witness. And this amazing privilege is ours right now. We worship We regularly gather together to make much of the worth and grace of God. We get to do this together. This this isn't just something we check off. I know I say that a lot, but we, we need to reinforce that in our heads and in our hearts that we are called to worship. We're called to come and say, yes, God is worth it. God, you are worth it because of your indescribable grace and mercy. And we're going to gather together and ponder anew what the Almighty can do because he's worth it. So we do that. We're called to that. You're not called to eat through life and then someday get glory. Joy isn't on a layaway with God. It's yours now. And we get to enjoy right now the God of grace and mercy who calls us and equips us for this life. Don't put joy on a layaway. Enjoy it now. We get to worship and say, God is worth it. And what is this work that we get to do? Well, Christ, the one who fulfills all that God promised to do, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, what has he called us to do? He says, go and make disciples. He calls us to a work, a work. Go help other people come to know how amazing God is, how amazing His grace is, how amazing His mercy is, how sufficient, all sufficient I am for their salvation. Go and make disciples. 
a call to call others to the God of all grace and to help each other grow in treasuring him through all of life. That we don't eke through this, biding our time until the king returns, that we have a job right now. And in the overflow of our worship, in the overflow of our joy, we get to work. We get to work. We get to invest in each other's lives, helping each other grow at seeing how amazing and all-sufficient God is for us. With great intentionality and great purpose. We're going to spend some time on that this summer. When the Exodus series ends, it ends at the end of May. On June 6th, we begin a series in the summer. We're going to be looking at the one another passages in the New Testament. We're going to work through that this summer. and Each one is kind of standalone, but, but all under the umbrella of what does it look like to do one another life together? That's our work. Is that our investment in one another is to help us grow in our discipleship so that others can grow in their discipleship so that others can grow in their discipleship so that others can grow in their discipleship. That's our work, folks. And that work is the overflow of our worship. I feel very burdened and very compelled to say God is worth it when I'm standing here so that when we go to work, we're helping each other see God is worth it. And that leads us into our witness. Where our lives as a church family are making much of God, we get to do that as we make disciples. And that work is a witness to the greatness of God and the awesomeness of His glory and grace. It is a witness. Weary sinners will come to know the grace of God as we busy ourselves enjoying God and helping each other do the same. This is what's before us. Yes, we're trying to navigate our way out of the fog of COVID. That's all right. We'll get through it. Some point, I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to sweat it. We'll figure it out. Bigger than that. We have a God worth all our worship. We have a work to help each other grow in Christ. And we need to be witnesses in Nashua and around us to the awesomeness of God's glory and grace and call people to him. That ain't going anywhere. That's what we have and we're called to. And let me encourage you. God has graciously called us to it and God has graciously equipped us with it. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the gospel. We have each other. And this all matters and you lack nothing for it. So let's go. We lack nothing when we have Christ. So let's go. Let's go with worship inflamed. Let's go with joyful work. Let's go with a compelling witness. Let's go. Let us look to him. Let's be a people who respond and do to the gracious God who calls and saves and equips. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you that your work is greater than all our sin. Your grace is greater than all our sin. You equip us for this life that you have called us and rescued us to and called us to. And, and, and God, I pray that our hearts would be so motivated by joy-filled worship of you that we get to the work of helping each other grow 
and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.